Woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Trip. On a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know you guys aren't privy to all the new. So, uh, you know that's what you uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun. Hold on, Jackson Jacks. Not them out. Greg Pappas on the board. SB Futures up a buck seventy-five. There's a Futures. Down 16 after a, yesterday, a day that gave anybody, a bull, a bear, a neutral, a knucklehead, gave you no clue about what's going forward after the big sell-off the day before. Yesterday was like a dead day, inside day after a not inside day, so it gave you no clue. I hate being clueless, Lou. What do you think? So, I uh, I start this morning with a, uh, with a mission, because... Uh, I got I got pinged by one of our uh, one of our listeners yesterday. We were we were talking about a an article that uh, that I had I had referenced with this group, and and in this group is one of our one of our regular our regular listeners, who also is one of my classmates from uh, from Air Force. Cool. And and yeah, and the I'm going to raise it because in the context of the debate last night, you know. I realize that our inflation is terrible, and we we have a number of stressors in the economy, and our are the ideologues that are running our federal agencies and state and state governments in some cases are uh, are, are making these stressors worse. But and for me, you know, the domestic issues obviously are going to are going to predominate. But for me, the, the you know the issue is foreign policy. We, we've talked about things that you know everybody plans to do this every plan everyone plans to do that but you know in the last two decades or last two and a half decades it's been some foreign policy event that has that has completely disrupted or shaped our uh, our, our political agenda and and so I, I was looking at an article from uh, I believe it's parameters which is the uh, the US Army's uh, sort of professional publication and it was talking about what a, a, a conflict with a peer uh, is going to look like if we get into it and of course the, uns- the unspoken peer is in this article is is China it's not Russia it's not a fight in it's not a fight in Ukraine that that may or may not develop but but across the Pacific it's very clear that the Chinese are mustering for some type of combat situation they've built up their fleet they're practicing the intrusions they they are doing so for example the chinese have these gigantic 
commercial ferries that they use to transport stuff along their along their coast from you know various shipping port to port all of those ferries uh have been within the last you know four or five years co-opted for military exercises obviously for landing exercises um this is just an example and of course they've been very the chinese military leadership has been very bellicose and they've been very very direct uh they've now started stringing barriers uh in the in the water in the philippine territorial uh territorial waters and the philippine economic zone they've been putting barriers up across the uh straits and across some of these islands to restrict the access by uh by philippine boats um and so th- this is the you know this is the target and they're and they're t- this, these, these west point authors are talking about what a what a conflict would look like and you know they they discuss the technology issues and the the other things that we have to we have to think about in a in a conflict like that but the but the big thing they talk about is cost and and how much a fight like that would cost you know and ukraine sort of gives us a little bit of a a little bit of a hint of of what what's going to happen but one of the things that jumped out at us in this article was the human cost so we lost I think we lost total killed, wounded, casualties, whatever, um, maybe, you know, 30,000, maybe as many as 40,000 guys killed, wounded, uh, casualties over the course of the last 20 some odd years of the global war on terror. Uh, That's a very rough estimate. We could lose lose that. What did we lose in Vietnam? Fifty-seven thousand. It was dead, right? Yeah, that was killed. That was killed. So, so typically your casualty rate, and I don't know the wounded rate. Um, typically, your casualties run like four to one. Yeah. Uh, on on on, you know, dead to dead to wounded. Um, we could lose that many dead. We could lose that many dead, killed, and wounded casualties in two weeks, in a major conflict. Well, sure. And yeah. and and that it chews up, especially especially if you know when we start seeing capital ships being attacked and and bases being hit, the intensity of of modern warfare with precision weapons and and the kind of violence that, that's going to be perpetrated is going to just inflict casualties on on us and, and the other side at a rate. That that we haven't experienced since the the very worst days of uh, of World War II. Well, not only that, we've got uh, most incredible these aircraft carriers are the most incredible things on earth. But we also only have four or five or six ready to go at any moment. So if you take out three or four, you got a problem. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, I mean, yeah. if you sink, if you sink, and this is one of the this is one of the things about you know naval conflict. When you attack a ship, you you don't. It's not like guys can be you know hanging around to be evacuated, the the on the ground. The the pe- people die. They they die in the water and, and they drown. They freeze to death. They whatever. Um, the casualty rates for for that kind of thing are going to be are going to be very high. And and the first thing they 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 said you know if we have we can't sustain a military force with a casualty rate like that. The first thing that's going to have to happen is we're going to have to put the draft back in place. 
we're going to have to we're going to have to we have we have a ready reserve it's called the individual ready reserve and these are people who have been recently discharged and and are kept on the rolls for I think I was kept on the rolls for seven years after I retired. Well, if, if you, your your commitment, I'm telling you this. If, if I well, if I enlisted tomorrow, I don't think they'd want me. Uh, if one of our young producers enlisted tomorrow, you're in for what two years? But you're on you're on for six, right? No, it's it typically the enlistment. I think the shortest enlistment period now is is Three? four years. Okay, but I thought, but you're still on for six, right? Well, you you sign up for you sign up for your active duty period and then even when you're discharged from active duty yeah yeah they call you, you back stay, you stay in what's you don't you don't report for training or anything you stay in what's called an individual ready reserve so that that you are technically subject to recall um irrespective of whether your contract's up you you are you are put in this this individual ready reserve so that that number i think in viet after vietnam you know it, during the 80s was anywhere between you know 300 and 500,000 people it's 75,000 people right now i i i mean i sort of thought this already but you definitely you know i don't want to be like socrates because he's a lot smarter than me and say the you know, youth of today kind of suck but i i think some sort of a <laughs> a uh you know sort of a plan where a lot of younger people do some kind of service for a year not maybe not mandatory but some sort of a basic training, some sort of a environment, whatever, whatever you're good at, you know, some idea of being in and working with other people, and not just being on your cell phone. I mean, I know that's a little. So I, I'm uh, you and I've had this talk, but yeah. but I mean, I, this is these are are horrifically sobering numbers. We're going to have to come yeah. back in. It, do, do you know how many? It, it's something. I think it's less than one in four right now. Uh, people in the in the ages of eighteen to twenty five are physically psychologically and and uh pharmacologically fit to serve in the armed forces right Without now. Without a doubt, we, they'd have to step you'd have to step it up. You'd have to change. But you'd have to come in, you'd have to come in, we'd have to change our, our requirements. We'd we'd have to we'd have to uh, undertake a huge uh prep, you know, preparatory kind of training program to get these guys ready to go. But but I'm just so so let let's just talk this is this is one of the most sobering articles I've read, I've read in a while, and it. it but let's just talk about these these casual. Well, let me, let me shift shift gears for a second, if you don't mind. Uh, we're going to cover that, but are are you thinking? We just talked yesterday. Uh, Russell, well, actually, Russell was on on Tuesday. Um, was talking about the Chinese situation and how the economy over there is, despite what the people here say, is somewhat falling apart. And well, I just saw. If you just look at the news this morning, Evergrande, their their giant yeah. real estate, uh, their we're giant not as big as the other one, but go ahead. Yeah, Ever Evergrande is Evergrande just just uh, uh, put a press release out talking about it. It's failing to make its payments and uh, it's struggling. Well, the I mean, other guys, a, what's the other guy's yeah. name? It's like uh, it sounds like a nursing home. What the hell's their name? Greg, uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, it, it does. Some, uh, something but, something green or something. Uh, anyway, th- those guys somehow under their thirty day. Uh, clause, you know, thirty days to get the pay- make the payment if you miss. They made their payment was it three weeks ago, Greg, with like a like a thirty minutes to spare or something. Where they got that money, I have no idea. But yeah, people are dumping people are dumping their stocks. Uh, the 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 story just hit this well, morning. Stocks are like a buck. They're they're like eighty yeah, cents. They're, they're 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 uh, they're they've arrested 
you know they've arrested their top uh, their top people um, and and yeah it, it's I'm looking to see in the article if I can find the, uh, the the name of the other entity but a, con- uh, a country garden yeah yeah I knew it was something something green yeah. country uh, garden um, hey yeah uh, so so these these stressors okay but here, and, here's my here's my question my, I'm asking okay. you um, I'm always looking for parallels in history and history doesn't repeat itself but you better pay attention is my opinion Hitler fortunately. Uh, fortunately for not the people he killed, but fortunately for the fact that he ended up losing, was essentially economically forced to go to war in 1939, probably a year or two before his generals thought they were ready, because he was broke and had to go had to go places and steal stuff from other people. Um, in my opinion, I mean that's that's what I, I mean is that you know I've read a whole bunch of stuff about World War II, but that uh, I zero on the economic side. Yeah, he, he my, my take my take is that my take is that Hitler sensed the weakness in the Western alliance and moved to exploit it at, uh, as quickly as he could, even though they were not technically ready. But he, but ahead. they also were broke, so they needed they needed the oil, they needed to steal stuff from people, and I, I wonder if the Chinese, by building up their military, same time their economy is somewhat collapsing, I wonder if they're sort of in the same boat here, where they're actually looking to get to Taiwan because they need the dough. Uh, there, there is, there is certainly that element to it. My personal opinion is that they are looking at a window, and and this is one of the reasons why that Air Force American Air Force general uh, last year said we're we're going to be at war with China by 2025. Um, they are looking at a, at a shrinking window of opportunity, where where we are at our most vulnerable because of our our crappy investment. In defense strategy over the last ten years, and <coughs> excuse me, we are looking most vulnerable. They are looking at their strongest, and and we, uh, you know, Taiwan has not quite ramped up its uh, its defenses to the point that that it could, you know, it could make itself unpalatable for uh, for the Chinese to take. So well, the Japanese and the Australians in the last we've talked about on the show, yes, have have. The last two to three, well, five years or so, we've been on the show together. Uh, they, they've, uh, they've, they're in the process of ramping right. up seriously. Right. They're they they, ramping up. The Philippines, the Philippines have turned from from being belligerent toward us to, to actually talking to us about re, reestablishing bases there. Um, there are a number of factors that if you're if you're a Chinese general uh, looking at at wanting to take Taiwan and basically shut down all of the ocean-going traffic in the South China Sea, for your, unless it's for your benefit, um, you you see this happening, and you say to yourself, we're not going to be able to fight Japan, Australia, and the United States if they get their weapons that they're talking about building coming up online, um, if, if their strategy uh, is allowed to, to fulfill itself. It will, make, it will make it almost impossible for us well, to take where time. Do, where do they stand on that? I mean, we talked, I want to say... Boy, losing track of time. Two, three years ago, about who was it? That somebody here was pissed off that Japan won the either Japan won the contract to build submarines for Australia or the other way around. Are those, are those things finished? I mean, are we still? I, mean, I guess it's, my my question is: Is do Japan or Australia have any submarines to help us out with? Or are they still in dry dock being built? Um, they well, Japan does have some submarines. They're not. They're not, my recollection is that the contract with with Australia was involved France. And, okay. and that that we basically talked the Australians out of out of 
using the EU as a as a source for uh, for these boats, and that, that they were gonna they were gonna get some of some of our product. But but again, the the short the short answer is that both Japan and Australia and the Philippines and a number of other entities in that in that region are looking around and seeing what the Chinese are doing and are are, are nervous. They've been nervous for a while and they are starting to respond. And and for China, this this is disastrous. So so now the the Chinese are, as I said, they, they look at this as a window of opportunity that is starting to close. And um, you know, there are our economy is is problematic. We have dumped trillions of dollars in into pointless exercises here domestically that have done nothing but make it more expensive for us to live. We are hamstringing ourselves um, in terms of international power, hard power, with respect to our energy and our ability to just, uh, you know, to power our cities, to power our military vehicles, to power our cars. Um, all of this, if you're China, you look around and see this. My the, the point of the discussion, and this is what I, I told this listener we would we would talk about. He so he raises the issue as I'm talking about all of this, and I said, you know, we, these casualty numbers are unbelievable. What happens if we put a draft in place? And, and his question was, well, would would you be okay with your kid going to die for Taiwan? Uh, and so the response to that, and this raises the issue that from a long-term strategic point that I thought has long been the goal of the Russians and the Chinese with respect to the internal propaganda that gets distributed through our culture. And the short answer to that is to make it almost impossible. And I talked about this on the show years ago, to make it almost impossible for a president to mobilize forces for war. Why is that, why is that any different than what Roosevelt went through? against well it's it's and that's and this is this is something we, we could talk about you know, my my re- my response to, to this listener is you know you might as well ask are we willing to have kids die for you know Paris or for London or for Italy and the answer or, was was no until they hit Pearl Harbor no, the answer the answer but the answer since then has been yes because NATO that's right but NATO you know NATO has set that has set that thing in stone that yes our national interest very clearly were tied to those faraway places and and i think taiwan is is in the same is in the same position do we want to do we want to fight there or do we want to fight in honolulu or do we want to fight on guam um you know where where do we want this where do we want this to go on where's the place and with all the snakes that's where you want to fight the place with all the snakes is that guam i think it is isn't it Guam's got Guam. I think Guam does have some snakes. Uh, I know that Okinawa's got some some really. What's bad the ones where the whole place is just inundated to the point where they got to check the planes when they land there from Ohio to make sure there's none on the planes and stuff? Uh, it's I think that's probably Guam. Guam. Yeah. I, I think that that sounds like that sounds like Guam, Micronesia somewhere. But but anyway, so the so the question. I mean, this. I read this article and I, and I was thinking I should raise this with uh, with Tom because this is the kind of economic shock. The kind of, of thing that you know, notwithstanding all of our grandiose plans to convert to electric electric vehicles and and do away with oil and and you know, fund our homelessness on the streets and and whatever else our domestic policy uh, crazies want to do, 
this is the kind of thing that turns all that out of its head. Our ability to hand money out right and left, our ability to fund all these nonprofits, our ability to, to keep, um, you know, the, the, all of the all of the government handout programs going that we've got going, in addition to the basic functions of government, all of that is at risk and falls apart very quickly if we're confronted with with losing fifty thousand people every two weeks. What, well, how susceptible? And, and, what is and all the associated equipment and and everything else that goes with that? Well, what what happens? Uh, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of war, and the winners and losers. Are those that can sustain themselves economically? I mean, that's the reason why logistics logistics we, wins wars. We, we won World War II. Our factories were, were not impacted, and we when we we kicked out how many gazillion planes in three and a half years for God's sake. I mean, that's that's what won the war. I mean, the story it, the story that the story that I always remember is Otto Skorzeny, the great the great German special operations guy, during the Battle of the Bulge. They overrun an American position, uh, an American camp. And, uh, you know, it's just tense, guys in tents. They overrun this, this camp. And he, as, he, as they're moving through the tents, he finds in the tent, in a box, a chocolate cake, I think it was, that had been baked by this guy's mother yeah, back in yeah. Ohio or some awful place and, and delivered to, to it. And he, he said, I tasted it. It was still edible. And I thought, we cannot possibly win against a country that can afford to send cake within a matter of you know of less than a week from Ohio to the front lines of the battlefield and and do it you know just as a matter of course you know yeah, well, just as a matter of course and he he said we're 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 done this this battle we may we may we may forestall defeat with with what we're doing right now but but we cannot beat well, George Marshall said, if my guys are going to battle, they're going to have the best bullets, the best guns, the best chance to win. It's like a football coach. I want the best chance to win I can give them. And, yeah. and the, the Germans said, I guess their tanks were a little better than ours. And one day they won a tank battle. You know, one of their guys, one of their tanks was as good as three of ours. You know, I get debates on that. Well, the only problem is they knock out three tanks. The next day there's three more. Well, that, that that's right. I mean, yeah. the... the, the um, I can't remember the name of the guy. I think it's Dupuy, the military writer who, who anecdotally talked about with a with a, a German uh, a German and a tank gun position. You know, eighty eight that famous eighty eight uh, millimeter gun that they had, and he they uh, they overrun the position. They capture the guy, and somebody somebody talks to this German this German officer and said, you know, you. You're, you're gonna you're gonna lose you know we've got better stuff and the german looks at him and says the only reason that you captured my position is that i ran out of ammunition <laughs> i killed i single-handedly killed 10 tanks coming down the road the problem was i didn't have any more shells or, or i didn't have any oil that's right yeah. well I, I didn't have any more shells i couldn't fire at any more tanks and the tanks just kept coming um it it this is the kind of this is the kind of thing that, that that modern conflict. I mean, it chews up people and equipment, and and so the the, the question that that got raised and that I, I think I just answered is you know would my would I send my kid? I the, I'm not going to have a choice. The the we have we have long made the made the commitment to sending our our people to die on foreign shores because we understand that our national interest 
inevitably is tied to what to what happens in places like that. You you might as well ask, well, would you would you have sent your kid to die at uh, at the Sudetenland? You know, would you send your well, kid to I, die? I, I mean, you know, we have a uh, Mikey really listening here too, so he's tweeting in. But um, I might, I think it's a, it might be a two part question. Well, um, I hope hope it isn't. But yeah, we are, we are, after I'll say this before break, and we come back. Let's talk about you know what what being cut off by the rest of the world and supplies would do to China. I mean, they get all the oh, coal, yeah. their coal from here. But I think I think what would happen. I mean. And chew on this on the break, maybe Mike will too. Well, well, this, uh, let me let me just raise real quickly. That's another sh- that's another just really distressing thing. The Chinese have started to stock have been stockpiling food, huge amounts of it, and and stockpiling coal, huge amounts of it. Plus, they killed about thirty million of their old people. They don't seem yeah. to care. Yeah, well, and I mean, I mean, I mean, so so they they are acting like a society that is getting ready for war. Well, I mean, chew on this during break if you don't mind. Uh, if we've made the commitment, I think, right now with the people we have in the service and the aircraft carriers and all the planes and all that stuff, that if the Chinese go after Taiwan, we're probably going to help out all right, and do some stuff. But if we don't succeed and they now take Taiwan and it's theirs, I'm not so sure you're going to get people to vote to put the m- several million people in the and the armed forces and stuff to have some kind of an invasion at that distance to take it all back. I don't think it's a one-part question. I think it's a two-part question. Well, so so. In other, words, if, in other words, if the Japanese yeah. would not have attacked Pearl Harbor, I don't think oh, you would have seen oh, people well, here. Well, Roosevelt Roosevelt was steering us to war, so so that that's unlikely. But but let me let me just let, let let's just say they. How about, how, about, how about we go to break first? Because yeah, yeah okay. I'm, I'm not sure that he could have mustered the same kind of fervor if they didn't do something first. Maybe. We, we'll never know. SP Futures down four. SP Futures down 40. Be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with 
with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold. The idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. I'm an American. You're a sick Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell, Greg Tappas on the board. SP Futures down 5, NSA Futures down 45. There's, there's a heaviness to this market. I mean, it, it, can't, it catches a bid and then it gets up there and it seems like there's, right now, there's more sellers above the market than there are buyers below, it appears. I mean, that can change, obviously, real quick. I, the thing I worry about when I'm selling calls here for people is, uh, you know, what would happen if all of a sudden there's a miraculous deal in Washington? We probably would get a, well, one man's opinion, we might get a, I'll ask Greg about this. We might get a two-day, some kind of real rally. I don't know what that, whether that would last or not. Uh, you know, we'll see. But I mean, that's 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 the that that appears to be the the bugaboo to the upside here is why you might not want to give up your upside because there's stuff that could happen that change things for the better. But whether they will or not, ew, that's anybody's guess. We're in Europe again, these guys have been real flat the last couple of days. Dax up six. Call that flat. Footsie down 24.3 percent. Cac around up 16.2 um, Asia, we've got the Nikkei down 4.99. It's one and a half percent. We have the Hang Seng down 238. These guys are down to 17.373. Uh, they were over 18,000. I'm going to say early last week, middle of last week. So that's that's a big hit. Shanghai up three. Call that flat. Yesterday said it gave you no clue as to where we were going today after the big sell off the day before. S&P was up 98 cents. So call that unchanged. Dow was down 68. Nasdaq up 29. So Mixed to nothing there. Uh, bonds up two basis points, six point. Uh, I'm sorry, four point six five. Uh, again, pretty high. The bond up ten basis points, two point nine four. I can't even imagine when that when that was the bond was this high. It has to be seven eight years, Greg. I mean, maybe you can find out after the break uh, or after uh, traffic weather sports. Japan up three basis points, point seven seven. Not where the government wants that either. Oil down twenty nine cents, but ninety three thirty nine went up all day yesterday. Uh, Brent down 39 cents, 96.16. Natural gas unchanged, 289. Arbob down a penny at 258. Gold up two bucks. Hey, it's under 1900, 1892. Gold's getting hammered as the dollar keeps racing up. Silver up six cents, 22.78. Maybe close to where the buy spots have been lately. Uh, maybe not. A copper up four cents, 368. We've got the Bitcoin uh, up 242, 26,493. And the U.S. dollar, which has been on a tear, is actually down a little bit today. Uh, the euro is up to, or back up to 105. Again, they've been 108, 109 for a long time, so they're down 2, 3 percent. The pound is 121, up 64 today. Uh, it has been 128, 127. So dollar is a little weaker today, but it still remains strong. Greg, what do you have for us? Trevi Weather Sports. Good morning, everyone. 6:37 here, Central Time. Chicago, 64 degrees, 69 degrees today. Um, Phoenix, we got 78 degrees, about 103 today. Kennedy, Montrose to the interchange, 30 minutes. Edens, Lake Cook to the interchange, 49 minutes. Eisenhower, Wolf to the interchange, 35 minutes. 
roped in Ryan the locals in from 95th is 22 minutes and Stevenson 294 to the Ryan is 33 minutes baseball Arizona shut out the White Sox 3 to 0 yesterday and Cubs lost in the 10th to Atlanta uh, 5 to 6 and tonight we've got Detroit at Green Bay at 715 so I got chief back to you what do you like tonight uh I like Detroit only because my fantasy football team rides heavy on the quarterback. Oh, God. Yeah. One of those kind of guys. He's got half teams reverse right. Oh, yeah. One of those kind of guys. I'm not sh- I'm, Who cares about the Bears? Well, uh, Lou, from the economic side, uh, this whole thing we're talking about is we, we constantly are going, when you, when you don't keep your house in order, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, pe- people say stuff economically like uh, a family could never have a deficit like that which is, of course, total BS. A family knows when their expenditure years are versus their other years. And the, the, the proper family, when they know your kids are going off to college at age whatever, you're going to have some money in the bank for saved up for those years. And when those years happen, you know you're going to be deficit those years. There's no way you can't be. So it's through some combination of savings beforehand, maybe some kind of a loan, and then afterwards you're back in the positive and you pay off the loan or whatever. You, you're back into, into, into a, an, ex, an accretion mode. I mean, everybody, it's all a question of planning. But the problem you and I are talking about is you can't, you can't go to war after 25 years of, of uh, basically self-inflicted wounds, which, which is what we have. Well, that's right. And, and, so, and so the idea, you know, the, the idea that... Uh, we can just turn, sort of turn a blind eye to what is happening uh, with the Chinese and how they're how they've they're or, orienting orienting their economy. They've got a huge unemployment problem within their um, you know within that young adult population. Um, it it really it really is a sobering kind of thing to to think about. I want to go back to the to the question we left hanging when we when we broke uh, about. Our willingness to put people into those into that kind of a situation, and your comment was, well, you know, we'd have to be attacked before, before, and we had to be attacked in World War II before we got over our isolationism. What would happen if, if quick question: What would happen if, if Hitler didn't declare war on us? Could well, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting question. Let me let me just say that this will not this will not be a problem. I don't think under the doctrine that we believe China is going to fight, which will involve attacks on United States military facilities in Japan in Guam, uh, in the open ocean, and, and probably in a number of other places. So, so on day one of this, we're going to have all, we're going to have thousands of, of guys dead. You well, know, the Chinese it, better have a big day one. Cause if they, if they swing and miss on day one, they got a problem. Well, the question, so, so here and here, you know, here goes the, here goes the question is to, is to how much bluffing are we, are we willing to undertake? I mean, are we going to cross the nuclear fire break with these guys? If, if I'm China, you know, and I say, well, you know what, I want to take out a carrier battle group to send a very clear message to America that we're going we're gonna to fight and, and we're prepared to make horrific sacrifices here. Uh, and so they nuke, a, they nuke a carrier battle group at sea. You know, they, they put a... Uh, if they do that, I'm thinking all gloves are off. Well, and so, so, so that's, but that's the calculation, is, is they've, they put a nuclear weapon down and say, we're willing to go to toe-to-toe to nukes. So is Los Angeles, uh, uh, Washington, uh, New York? Is that worth Taiwan? 
You know, that, I'm going to that say that be, that's going to be the question. I'm going to say that if, uh, well, if, the, if, if they run out there with their naval ships on day one and they happen to win, and it's I'll use the term conventionally, have a big day one. Uh, I think they just have a big day one. But if they drop, that's like one carrier versus you know. Well, six, we're talking no, it's not it's not the same. Well, you're talking about yeah. how many ships are in the carrier. The, the group is twenty of them or so. Yeah, the carrier group. And there's, I don't. I think it's six well, carrier groups. All right, right but what Lou's saying is, they just say one. the hell with it. We're, we're going to win. They have ca- to do that. If if we're going to win day one and we drop an A bomb over the carrier group, I'm going to say every place we know that they have some sort of a base where they can launch a missile from is going to get nailed within two days, Lou. I would. Uh, well, and and so and so this is the this is the calculation. I mean, this is how this is how the betting goes. Would we launch a strike on their nuclear delivery facility? Without a doubt. Well, so 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 if we do that, then we're going to use a nuke on their homelands. Well, it's a lot quicker than two days, too. You know that ICBMs go like, I don't know. I think you have box seven. Well, no, but the, yeah. the decision making, the the delivery will not be the issue. It'll be a decision making issue. And, I don't and think so, there's any question that if they're willing to drop the first the first nuke, you have to take them out of any any chance of number two. That, that uh, would be me, and I'm and I'm, and I'm I am I'm the softest touch there is, but you got to do that. The minute, and of course, the minute. So, so here, here's how the calculation goes. And it's been a long time since we've talked about nuclear, a nuclear exchange and, and mutual assured destruction. But here's how the calculation goes. We say, okay, they they put a they put a nuke down to, and they understand this. They're they're but they're re- they're reckless and they're desperate. So they put a nuke down on a carrier battle group. They destroy the carrier. They destroy you know, sixty percent of the of the support for it. We've got ten thousand dead within within a second. You know when that thing goes. You're the president, the president's advisors. They say, okay, we're going to strike the missile fields. We're going to have to strike them with nukes because they're hardened. So we're going to launch a nuclear attack on mainland China, which is, means mainland China is going to launch a nuclear attack on us. That well, takes about half an hour for an ICBM. Yeah, we, yeah we 30 have, minutes. We have to make but, sure that every one that we could possibly get on the ground, we get. But we're not we're not going to get them all. I mean, I mean, we're, we're, we're just not. They'll they'll have, if this goes forward and they're, they're going to do this, and I... I would suggest that this is part of their strategy or their strategic thinking. They're going to have submarines placed where they can fire at the homeland. So we're going to have to accept the fact that we are going to continental United States is going to take a nuclear weapon. Do they have submarines that can I don't think they have submarines that can lurk off California, do they? Uh, they do, and and they've got they've got submarines with you know with surface to surface cruise missiles that that would fly you know under the radar well, I, i'm just saying i'm just saying if you're if you're a decision maker you're gonna this is the every one of those things better be tracked and the minute they do something every one of them better be taken out it, it's not gonna happen that can't okay happen. just just not we don't have the resources for it and we don't have the technology for it although we're getting there we used to chase um, we used to chase like every russian submarine didn't we we would lose we would lose russian subs regularly okay and 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 so you know, and and the the short answer is that some of their ballistic missile boats can sit in territorial waters or inside Russian protected territorial waters and launch from there. So so the question now is: Are we about to get into a worldwide nuclear exchange, or or even a, even a limited one? Let's say let's say we take out ninety percent of their stuff with the first with the first strike. They you know they don't have to sit there and take it. They can see the launches. They'll see the missile launches. Their decision making is just as adept as ours. They'll fire a certain percentage of their weapons on uh, without having to, to take the strike. So we may not we may not get you know half of them. 
you know, and, and they don't have a they don't have a huge number of, of intercontinental ballistic missiles, but they've got enough to hit you know fifteen twenty cities, and and so is that is that worth it? Is Taiwan going to be worth it? That's the calculation that we're gonna we're gonna end up well, having we, to make. The problem is say, we know we know we know it's not just Taiwan. If it was just Taiwan, the answer would be easy. If we knew if we knew the, the Hitler was just Poland, it would have been easy too. I mean, that, you know, that, people that, like that, like right. Polish people. And this is this is the this is the comment. So so to go back to the question my friend asked, are you willing to have your kids die in Taiwan? You know, what, what should we have had our been willing to have our people die for the Sudetenland? The answer is yes, because if we'd done that, we would have stopped the conflagration that ended up killing, you know, a hundred million people over the next over the next four years. We would have we would have stopped that. Um, but. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So, are we are we correct in looking at Taiwan that way? I I think we are. I don't think there's any question that China is an expansionist imperial yeah, I mean, power. If, if you were to if if you were going to say, like, and the difference between Chamberlain and Churchill was that Chamberlain said, "Oh yeah, we'll give this guy this one thing. I just talked to him. All he wants is this, and that's it." And Churchill Churchill, said, "What are you yeah. out of your mind?" Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, right. That, that was the difference. Right. Churchill said, "What well, every everything you give him just makes it worse." And 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 you know, they're probably the British people were were in favor of Churchill. And I think I think if you had if if we took uh, if if China takes Taiwan and or attacks Taiwan, attacks our bases, um, I think I think a, a very, there would be a very powerful. What are we doing over there anyway? This isn't any of our business. Move in the United States. The, the same kind of isolationist mentality. That we're seeing with respect to Ukraine. Well, what the, the British had just been off, and you or Mike know the history of this, but what was the the, the Battle of World War One? Where in two days, the British lost like thirty thousand people or some ridiculous. Was it, was it the Somme? It's either Wipers or the Somme. I thought it might have been the Somme, but I'm not positive. I mean, they they they're the the recent horror of any kind of a land war in Europe and how many people it cost them. The British that was even though. They didn't want Hitler to grab another people's property. That was really fresh in their memory. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It was what fifteen so years. Well, look, look at look at what the Russians are losing and, and the Ukrainians are losing in a relatively, you know, constrained conflict. Yeah. In in Ukraine, I mean, the Russians, the estimates I've seen for Russian casualties are are over two hundred fifty thousand. Well, you know, um, Lou, the uh, did you ever read a? Uh, I'll think of the name of it. Um, it had to do with. Uh, Follow the dynasties. Did you ever read that book? I don't. I don't. Uh, know. It, 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 I, lo- I lost it to a to a flood in my mother's basement, but it had to do with all the places leading up to World War One. They went through the, with the Hohenzollern. Who did? Who did German guys? Hohenzollern. Is that how you pronounce it? Hohenzollerns. Yeah. Yeah. There the, were those uh, guys, and the Russians you're had. Not the, talk, you're not talking about Tuckman, are you, Barbara Tuckman? I'm not. Not sure. Her book, her book was one was one of the ones. But yes, I, I mean, went through, But it went through every place. There was the Habsburgs. There were the yep. Romanovs in Russia. And all these things were they were totally corrupt. They, they, were, they were handling their population horribly. You had a, you had a population boom. Hey, you, hey, you, Greg, look up look up World War One rap battle. Okay. If if, if you want to if you want to post an interesting historical and historically accurate. Assessment of what happened with World War One, but set to a rap battle concept between the various the leaders of the various uh, wow. the various countries. Anyway, but the, but it, it basically went that 
there was this arms race going on. There was horrible government. Everything was corrupt. You had Rasputin running around in Russia. They had everybody. I mean, it, half the people had been so inbred that they were screwed up anyway. But the whole thing was population growth, economic problems, arms race. And this is kind of what's happening sort of everywhere here. I mean, I, I talked to some people the other night in a, in a well, it wasn't a library, it might have been a saloon. Uh, but, you know, the, the Venezuelan people here, and I, again, I, I it's not about whether they belong here, it's not about anything like that. But, but I, mean, I basically asked these two people, I said, you got Venezuela, a burgeoning population, okay? You've got economic has totally fallen apart since we've been on the show. Well, there's been there's no currency that's worth anything. They they can't sell the oil. The place is totally scripted. Why are people shocked that people just like the Irish with the with the potato famine? Why are people shocked that people are willing to get out of there? They're willing to swim to Europe for God's sake because it's so horrible there. I mean, I'm not saying we let them all under Chicago. I'm not, I'm not saying anything like that. I, but I, I can't believe that people don't realize that something like this is coming. I mean, when, when, when people, I mean, why is it a shock that everybody, whenever we leave Syria, they got to go somewhere, right? I mean, there used to be people who live, this is, the, the, the world right now is totally screwed up in a lot of ways, very similar, really, to before World War One. to thank God that Venezuela and Syria and all these people don't have, like, big-time weapons like people were getting before World War One. But, I mean, th- how many spots are like that in the world? Ten? Fifteen? Uh, I mean, you know, well... China I mean, probably, China to a certain extent, same way. Their economy's but, kind of falling apart. They don't know what to do. But I don't. But what happens to those guys if we stop shipping them coal? What, what are they gonna? If we start stop shipping them soybean? Well, and, and that's and that's again. Let let let's look at what the strategy is. As I said, they've been stockpiling food. They've been stockpiling. They've been stockpiling coal. The idea is we will stockpile enough to keep our country uh, fighting for six months and we're going to bet that in six months we could do so much damage we can basically confront the the western alliance with uh, a fait accompli and then we'll go back to them and say all right let's do business you know because you're business we're businessmen ultimately let's do business we've taken taiwan you're not going to get any chips from them anymore we control that we've we've now shut off the south china sea to japan you're not going to get any oil Okay, Japan, because because we're going to interdict everything that comes through there. So so your oil shipments are now going to be going to be constricted. Oh, and by the way, you know that the, the stuff that you were getting from the United States because they could ship it directly to you from Alaska without having to go through our territory. That's turned off because the Americans shut it down. So so you're not going to you're not going to be able to do that. They can't get enough oil for their for their own population. So now you're going to have to deal with us. And and it's going to be a lot easier to just simply deal with us from an economic position rather than having to fight us. And that's what they're counting on. You know, they're they're counting they're counting on being able well, to enough accomplish. Lot of people will be dead before you get to that day. Uh, I'm just I'm just telling you they're they're counting they're counting on that and they're counting on on a lack of willingness on the part of the Western Alliance and these other nations to uh, to fight. That that is one of the reasons why and, and I I these perceptions are, are important. I think Ukraine sends is a, us supplying Ukraine and and doing it in the way we're doing it is important because it sends a very straightforward message to China. Hey, you know what? We will support. We will support people who are threatened. We will support our allies. That alliance is not is not a uh, you know just a, a thing on paper. 
And, and if you make this move, you're going to be confronted not just by us uh, or Australia, but by a, a group of people that will shut down your, your ability to do this, and we're going to exact a high price for it. In order, yeah, in order to have these conversations, that's an important. That's an important message to send. In order to even have that conversation, though, you have to. One, you know, I'm not going to say you have to have your house totally in order, but we got to get in a little more order than we're at, than we are. Chief, we we've got. Uh, again, I talk about the ideologues. What you and I have been talking about here is a very practical, real politics kind of sense of the word. The the people in charge in Washington right now, in the, in the federal agencies and and in this White House, are ideologues. And, and they are not interested in real politics. They have a very constricted, uni, unilateral uh, view of the world that, that says, this is how things have to be. And if they aren't that way, then my response is not to modify my position. My response is to double down right. on my position. Oh, yeah. and, and I mean, the whole electric vehicle thing. I mean, I mean what, nobody in their right mind thinks that we're gonna have a power structure capable of generating enough electricity to plug in half of the cars on the road right now with with that if they were to transform magically into EVs it 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 we, we can't do it and yet and yet that they're pushing ahead i see denver denver has uh you know pretty good weather most most of the year but but we have a bicycle mentality here much like Emmanuel's bicycle mentality in Chicago the idea that we're going to be able to people are going to be able to ride their bikes to work and so we set up these crazy bicycle lanes everywhere that cut traffic down and restrict the ability to, to drive cars because that ultimately is the goal we want to turn off your ability to get into a car and drive somewhere and so we're going to make it harder for cars to operate but we'll make it easier for bicycles notwithstanding the fact that riding a bike in Denver is is uh, you know an exercise in futility more than two thirds. We could of the we year. could have had a really nice electric streetcar down the same place and use less room than the bike lane, and you move a hell of a lot more people with that. Uh, exactly. We want we're going to put we're going to put these mass transit uh, plans in place. I mean, Denver's a classic example. We've put up. They wanted mass transit here again because this was an ideological thing. We'll get everybody to ride the bus. Well, at the same time. We legalize drugs here in Colorado in, in terms of small small amounts, all of it. You know, we decriminalize the possession for heroin and, and fentanyl here in, in Colorado. And so suddenly we have this burgeoning, addicted, homeless population that then floods our, our mass transit. And we don't we don't seek to protect the mass transit. The and only so people now, the people who have no rights are the are law abiding people. This have you, well, I, have you followed you know, this uh, part, have you Denver, followed this Denver, DePaul thing this week and I Maybe yes. I can find it, the exact words. We have, at any given time now, during the day, any neighborhood, there's there's cars of people driving around essentially interested in mayhem. The great majority of them are black. Not all of them probably, but the great majority of them are black. Got the hoodies, got the stolen car, got the guns. We can, We cannot deal with the problem because it's somehow culture. We don't know what the culture is. But now these, these people at DePaul, it's on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, are sitting on the campus my own business on a nice day. These guys show up, pistol whip one lady, steal other people's stuff. This is on Sunday University campus. Now the campus has all these phones to call in if there's a problem. There's cameras all over the place. They have the University Police. They have the Chicago Police. And the, the response, and again, I'm not word for word, so I probably shouldn't say that much, of the of the DePaul president is, 
We're going to make sure all the students carry their IDs so they can be identified as students. And we don't want anybody else, like a guy like me, going out for a walk, walking through campus. Well, the campus is city streets. For God's exactly. Sake. But the only persons, people who were not mentioned yeah, are the, the people hoods. who are, are the hoods, the yeah. people who did it. They're, it's not like, if you come back again, by the way, we've outfitted all our people with billy clubs, and you're not going to get back to your car, and it's going to be a bad day for you. Nothing, nothing like that whatsoever. Or, or, we're, going, yeah. or we're, going to, we're going to institute concealed carry training for all of our students that want to take it. Well, okay, but I'm saying, but whatever it is, the only people that were not addressed were the people who did the did the damage. Well, and, and so and so this this ideological this ideological mindset that that basically ignores what's going on in the real world and says this is how we're going to do things. This is the wrong mindset. Yes, it is. To deal with China. This is the wrong mindset to deal with this kind of international scourge that that literally could just totally disrupt this economy, totally disrupt our culture. Imagine imagine us having to reinstitute a draft where we come in and we, we just we just sweep we just sweep through neighborhoods. We come into every high school and would say that you, you you turn eighteen, you're you're why why do people think that system and we're pulling you in. Why why do people think that you, you can't say no to a five year old, you can't say no to a teenager and everybody is okay, everything is, it's all part of culture, which you can do whatever they want, and then when something bad happens to you, then there's an outrage. I mean, this is, where, where is, where's the mentality? There, there, there always have been bad people, or there's always been bad com- countries in the world. They have, to, they have to be dealt with. I mean, like Mike Reichel said, war is simple. They got it, we want it, let's take it. There's always going to be people like that. I mean, right? I mean, I, uh, absolutely. And, I, and, mean, I mean, and, history, history, unless, unless we change our fundamental human nature, which, by the way, if you're an ideologue, you think is possible. Well, I mean, you, I, 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 I will say that if you were to look at somebody's life, okay, and I've done an awful lot of reading, maybe not as much as you, I'm going to say that Adolf Hitler was incredibly mistreated. His mother didn't love him. His daddy didn't love him. He didn't get enough love. He didn't get enough lunch. He was on the streets at, in Vienna. He ended up in World War One because he looked like he did. He got abused by everybody in the army. The guy had a horrible life, okay? But at some point, <laughs> when he starts taking out other people, you have to forget all that and just get him, right? And then and, and worry about the other stuff afterward. You can't, you can't say because somebody had a rough life, they get to jump out of cars and carjack people because that's the culture. You can't. The other people have rights too. I, the only people. But, you're, are, but your your mayor your mayor says exactly that. Exactly, Jeez. without a doubt, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I, and I don't get where there's there's agreement on that. I mean, uh, the had uh, we got we got a dash here, but. Uh, Greg did some work yesterday. Greg, real quick before we, we got, I know we got to go. We'll, we'll, just when Lou's here, we're going to go, go over, for, go, over uh, go over more with John later. What is what is the Chicago Public Schools? What are they up to? Twenty nine thousand a student, and, yeah. and what percent what percent come out of there that can can add or, or read? Was it like twenty percent? Uh, reading is around twenty, and math is around twelve overall. Yeah. Well, well, let let's go. But we, Baltimore is my new is my new favorite example for dysfunctional culture. In the seventy five what's it seventy five high schools in, in Baltimore, there is not one proficient student in math. Not one. That's not good. one. According well, to that last this last testing. That's uh, that's cool. <laughs> Luke, take care of yourself. SP's down one, NASDAQ features down twenty nine. Be right back, Dan Janitas. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. 
A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm tomorrow, Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up one, NASDAQ Futures down 20. We have uh, Mr. Dan. Yes. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm coming to you from Boston today. Good for you. <coughs> yes. You're traveling from Boston to Chicago, or you're, you're talking to us from Boston? I'm talking to you from Boston. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, you gotta, you got to enlighten me after... Crummy days last week, um, somewhat of a relief rally on Monday. I never expected the carnage on Tuesday, but it, it happened. Yesterday, what message was yesterday? I, I'm not so sure it made me bullish, made me bearish. I think it left me clueless. What, what, did, what did yesterday mean? What was yesterday all about? Just kind of a dud day in the middle after all that. Yeah, I, I think we're still in a <clears throat> somewhat of a, um, a, a downturn here. Part of the reason for this, as we've discussed, part of the reason for this shift in sentiment that we've seen recently is is um, the obvious things that we've been talking about, which are higher rates, probably one more rate cut before the end of the year, um, government shutdown possibility, um, China, the geopolitical issues, um, you know, the war. Um, but more importantly, I think there's concern now also about um, the rise in, in uh, debt, both at the consumer level, uh, if you think of credit card debt going up substantially, household debt, um, as well as corporate debt, and more importantly, as we all know, um, government debt and the deficit continuing. So those are all the you know in the background, and those are those are continuing to move in the wrong direction, if you will. Affordability continues to be an issue. 
I've been doing a fair number of company visits, and I'll come back and talk about one that I had here in Boston, which is very interesting. But although the issue of you know labor that we've been talking about for a while and finding good talent, in particular areas like factory workers, engineers, still very difficult. All the CEOs I talk to still saying very, very difficult period. At the same time, you have companies that are laying off in certain industries like tech. So there's this 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 stabilization or this mismatch, but stabilization on the labor side. The really strange thing, Chief, that's going on here is despite all this, you know, sort of background music that isn't really looking particularly good, we still have high consumer spending. So people are continuing to spend and put money on their credit cards. However, at some point in the near future, I believe that we are going to see a, a more a dramatic sell-off, and I think people are, are scared. Plus, as we've discussed over the years, um, a lot of people are looking short-term. So they will look and look, look for what they, you know, they can invest in short-term. Good example, I had a, a prospective client. Well, I had a client refer um, you know, somebody who is quite wealthy, you know, large business owner on the West Coast, um, this guy has lost millions over the past year trying to manage his own money, millions, and just trying to, you know, do his own stock trading, if you will. And he realizes now that he needs some help. Well, the reason he's losing millions is because this uh, there's this uncertainty. This year has not been, and neither was last year, like the years we were seeing in, you know, 2010, 11, 12, 13, well, you could put money in the S&P 500 and just ride it. Oh, sure. It didn't take any research. It didn't take any... Actually, really, since 2000. And so, exactly. Well, so, if, you'd, if, you'd have, if you'd have stepped out in 2007 or went to half cash and put it back in for the last 23 years, you're fat and happy to degree, degrees of... You know, it's like avarice, for God's sake. You know, avarice right. would be... He'd be, he'd be envious of you. Yeah, it's it's been a very it's 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 been a period I think where there is Sonny's finally some realization that you know people like me uh, matter you know oh, yeah. that, that that it does make a difference to where you're looking and the other thing is we've had a lot of ETFs um, we've had this huge increase in the number of ETFs exchange traded funds and what those do is they just allow somebody to gain exposure to a particular sector but it takes the good and the bad just like a an index fund would take you take everything in the index or everything in that sector say if it's a sector index or everything in the S&P 500 and you're not um, you're not being stock specific well we are in a very stock specific environment so what people have been doing especially in individual do-it-yourself investors um, they have been chasing um, certain sectors or certain names or the or the famous seven, you know, the the Amazons and Teslas, and I think they're 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 jumping on the wagon with a lot of faith about things that they're hearing from people or that their friends might be telling them, but not really paying attention to what they're investing in, and that I think can be the biggest mistake. So it's created all this volatility in the market, other than the fact that. We have this debt increase, and I'd say overall, I don't believe we're going into a deep recession. I don't believe we're going into recession. Period. 
However, I think this period of volatility is going to continue. And I think this is really the time to be giving your money or giving at least some of your money to a uh, money manager rather than thinking well, you can do without, it yourself. Without, well, a money manager, which you and I are, by the way, uh, is going to do, I think, a couple of things which individuals find it difficult to do. You know, by the way, your clients will not be happy with you when you do it. I mean, to, to be blunt, um, if if you get rid of the indexes, you know, I like the indexes, but if you get rid of the indexes and somebody gives you 10 million bucks and you're going to be diversified, probably, if you can have any kind of a number of shares of anything, uh, you're probably going to have 20 stocks or so, being 15, 25, and you and I could fight about that, but it's, you're not going to have 400 or anything like that, because uh, who the hell wants to manage that, and, and, and how could you? Um, although some places, if you go to the Merrill Lynch's of the world, you're going to, the next day, you're going to end up with four shares of IBM, six of this, and how the hell they even begin to manage that, I think they don't. They just hope it goes up. But I'm saying, you and I, in one year, on a normal year out of the 20 we have, or you, you can tell me we need 25 or 15, but the 20 we have, there's going to be a few that are sort of unchanged, until in normal years. A few we're going to kick butt on, and a few we wonder why we bought, right? But, at the, but now, the ones that we have the most of, Maybe we're we're way more than one twentieth of the portfolio. Yes. And we're you and I are going to say, let's lighten up on those a little bit yep. because now they're now they're they're a bigger percentage of the portfolio than we want to have in a diversified portfolio. Well, the first thing a retail client's going to say, why are you selling my winners? Cause, but you and I are going to say, just because they're a winner last, we can't trade last year again. We got to trade this year. Right. And so you and I are going to probably lighten up on those, which people don't necessarily want. But you know. You can feel free to use this. Remember Chicago, Dan, back in the 70s? They did a serious amount of research. First, they put everything together on a computer. That every every tick in the market since like 1890. They were the first place that had, they were the center of security uh, science or whatever. And even in mutual fund managers in those days, the, it was very rare for somebody to have two good years. If somebody picked... You know, IBM should be 5% of your portfolio. I mean, what does a mutual fund manager really do? He said, no, I like IBM more. We're going to make IBM 10% of the portfolio, and we're going to say digital at the time. We don't like digital. Instead of being 6%, we're going to make them 4%. That's really all you do, right? You, you overweight some, and you underweight others versus the index. Well, one, yeah, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I one year, you're going to be a big winner, but, but the correlation between winners two years in succession was like zero. Yes. You almost wanted to, the guy who had the crummy year last year. You wanted to, you almost wanted to go with him the next year, which right. said, which wouldn't surprise you or me. But it was it clearly is not what a retail client wants to do. No, 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 not at all. And I think it's really just you know, from years of experience, we know that you know that that every, you know we've we've learned humility and and we've learned to become humble over over time because no matter how smart you are or good you are at, at picking stocks. The market is going to um, keep you uh, keep your you from getting too um, overly confident, but it's also a lesson that you need to learn is when to sell, and I think that is or when to trim, as you're saying, when to like rebalance, and that's a discipline that I think a lot of individual investors don't understand. And at the same time, I think they're they're not necessarily paying attention because just as you can do that with politics, you can do that in the investment field too. You can say, well, 
I really don't, you know, I know that this stuff going out there with, I know that, you know, I've heard things about our deficit increasing and I've heard things about consumer debt increasing and I've heard oil prices are increasing. Well, I just don't think they're going to affect Amazon or I just don't think they're going to affect AI and AI is going to do well no matter what. Well, when you start thinking about it realistically and put on put on your common sense hat, which is really what it's all about is common sense. You start remembering that Amazon, tra you know, goods are traveled through, you know, the trucks that deliver the goods to your house, the trucks that deliver the goods to their factories. They they use gas. I mean, to keep it really simple. Yeah. So oil prices going up definitely impact a business, even if it is a technology business. And it's that lack of understanding. We do all that extra research really to get down in the nitty gritty and understand all of the different costs, all of the different risks of these companies. So reading an article by by a certain analyst or even seeing a YouTube video, which is really what gets my stomach sick when someone tells me, I saw that stock on, you know, a 16 year old was telling me about that stock in a YouTube video. You gotta consider the source. And I oh, learned yeah. from day one in this business when I had a, long before we had, you know, the everything on the internet, I learned. I had a stack of, of research on my desk every day, and I learned how to go through that and determine what was significant. And you know, you read we read almost everything when we were first starting out, and then you learn how to skip over it. Same thing with reading the Wall Street Journal. I mean, there's a lot of information, um, but you have to know where to go to get your information. And I think someone like Ken Polkari will will agree with me that you cannot have every resource. You have to have the best resources. Well, Dan, where do people, uh, I won't, won't tell a current story because I don't want to be giving anybody what I think of any of these current stocks for fear they might listen to me like they do the people on TV. Uh, back in the, the day in 2000, one of the most, one of the, the high flyers obviously was Cisco, right? Yes. And it had gone from, I don't know when the IPO price was, but it was up to like 60-something. You know, it was a huge. There, there was a guy in Ohio, a guy, a money manager in Ohio that had all his people pretty much, I'll say overweighted, I'll be charitable, overweighted Cisco to where I think other than the Cisco employees as a group, he held more shares of Cisco than like anybody else in the country. And he fought, the stock made it up to 60-something and went back down to I think 7, 6.5 when after the 2001. He didn't sell one share by one put, sell one call. I, mean, I guess my question is where, where do you go from being the guy that I'm really jealous of to pick Cisco out as a IPO or maybe right after and say this company's going someplace and and put people's money in there and have the stones to do that how all of a sudden do you become no longer an inf investor in some drone genuflecting at the at the altar of Cisco I mean clearly it wasn't as good a buy at 65 as when he bought it at 2 or he bought it how, how do you not say I'm, a, I'm really a trader. It's now my job to find the next Cisco. I've ridden this horse as far as I can and at least lighten up on some. Why do people get like 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 uh, you're part of the board of directors or something? You're not. You're, you're just a, you know. Yeah, how, how, does that mental, how does that mentality change? Well, the, the, I mean, part of it is just knowing the difference. You have to recognize the difference between whether you're a long-term investor or a short-term investor. If you like a company long-term, and I'll give an example in a minute, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to sell out at certain times when they've rallied and when they've gotten above fair market value, when their valuations are very rich and it's time to lighten up. When the environment 
tells you it's the time to lighten up because stocks in that sector or stocks in general, um, you know, have become risk risk um, you know risky relative to where you should be putting the money. You know, for example, we have been talking, as you know, over the last few months, that we have lightened up our equity position. I think we could not have called the timing better um, in getting out. But it doesn't mean that we still don't like Otter, which we mentioned last yep. week, OTTR, or or um, UFPT, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. Um, you, you, still like, there's, you, you still like the Otter's the uh, – people weren't listening. And, there's, those are – Energy company that's based in Minnesota. Yeah, you've, you've liked those Minnesota. guys. You've liked those guys for years. Yes. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is that that we I don't look at and we hold on, but you have to rebalance. You have to trim and add, especially if you're if you're working in the smaller cap space. You have to um, know when it's time to lighten up and when things are overvalued. It doesn't mean that you don't like the company long term. You have to consider that what I call the third leg of the stool when you're investing. So if the first leg is the research that we do, which is very intense, the second leg is the valuation, which makes the determination whether you buy it or sell it or hold it. The third leg is the trading, and you have to understand the trading. And a lot of investment managers and retail investors do not understand trading. No. I was very fortunate when I first started at Loomis back in 1986 to be a portfolio manager portfolio managers had to do our own trading and we weren't trading IBM we were trading high-yield bonds it, it was a dealers market and there was definitely an art to trading and that was something that I think has benefited my background in knowing how to trade somebody like Ken Bulkari going back to him understanding the flows of funds because he was on the a floor of the New York Stock Exchange, so he knew where money was coming from and where money was going. I talked to the traders all the time on the street, understanding the flow of funds. A retail investor working from home on their laptop and just getting a hunch about a stock does not understand the flow of funds, does not understand the nuances of trading, does not understand what happens when it's risk off, what you do. You don't have to do it on a day. You don't have to make trades on a daily basis, but you and you can hold a position. But you just have to know when that position has become rich, and it's time to to lighten up, or you know it could be that there's been some bad news. But even if the news is neutral, you still have to know when that that company is um, overpriced. So that comes with experience. That's not something you can Google. That's not something you can you can um, read in an article by a 16-year-old on or look at a YouTube video for. Sorry, you need experience in, in trading and that's where we and all the experience we've had over the years really add value, especially in a market environment like this that where everything isn't going up in unison. Well, you and I have been around for a long time to the point where making money in a market is not easy. I mean, but for a while now, it's been easy because the Fed has basically poured, poured money into place for how long? It's, it's been easy. In, in retrospect, it doesn't mean it's easy tomorrow. But it's... Right. I, and, and, I've never and seen... Chief, it doesn't mean that it wasn't... And it doesn't mean that it wasn't easy at other periods of time in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I started, interest rates were whatever they were, 12, 14, 15%. Right. 
it was so easy to say the market is real cheap here at 800 I was here 18 months sitting along before it started to move. I don't have much money left to finally move it. it hey, but, yeah. the, but, you know, but the weird, one thing I, have, I haven't noticed before, Dan, I mean, maybe because when we first started in the, in the business PTI, we used to have seminars here all the time. And we'd get 30, 40 people twice a month. I mean, it was really good. Everybody wanted to learn. And everybody was real anxious to learn, you know, strategies and so forth. And you could sort of... Uh, the education was kind of right there, but even really simple stuff like a, like a covered call right. I mean, it means you you're selling somebody the right to buy your stock at a certain price. But I mean, in those days, if if you identified, you know, we'll, uh, we'll call the stock DAN. If you like DAN at sixty five, and you think it might go to seventy five or seventy, say seventy by the end of the year, and you bought it at sixty five in in August, and you sold the December calls, the seventy calls for like three bucks and if it went to 70 you made eight dollars in four months it used to be where people went out and had a beer together and said that was right. okay now what did you sell that call for the stock's at 80 my stock is at 80 and you, wait a minute we sat down together and we said we'd love to buy it at 65 but at 70 is a little high and if we if we sold it there and oh by the way we got some money to sell it by selling this call it would be a really good couple of months and that's exactly what happened yeah but that's 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 not not a stock's 90 you screwed me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, there, there has to be a time, though, that you know. I think on the on the selling, um, you know, in the, uh, the the decision to sell, I think it's very difficult, and I think it's particularly difficult for for individual and retail investors. And and but you also have to know when it's time to take risk off the table for your particular client, you know, because you're managing it with a certain uh, some some return objectives, but you also have to keep in mind the, the level of risk you're willing to take. So you may not get that extra 10 or 20 percent that gets tacked on, you know, over a period of time, even if you do like the, the company short term. But you also have to remember that you're managing for a client that has less risk tolerance. So maybe they had that risk tolerance and then they sold their business, which is generally what happens to a lot of my clients. And we continue to manage it. Maybe they they they're not interested in the legacy of leaving their children or grandchildren money. They're more interested in enjoying what they've earned. Um, and in those cases, we're gonna become we're we're gonna become less risky. We want to retain and preserve that capital, so we're not gonna go for that last ten or twenty percent in every case. So we're at least gonna pare back those names over a period of time, so that we can stick to what their true you know their objectives are and 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 actually help them achieve their their financial goals. Well, Dan, interest rates went over a period of several decades from fifteen percent to zero. With the incredible yes. increase in the stock market value <clears throat> that you and I would have, if you were to give us a, a, a test as a sophomore in college and said, wow, this interest rate's going to go from 15% to zero over the next 25 years, what happens to the stock market? I think both you and I write down, it's going to go up like a real lot. Yep, <laughs> well, now, but now we're going the other way. Interest rates are going from zero. I'm not so sure if this inflation doesn't cool down. That they're not going to be back up to eight or nine, the ten-year rate, not not the hopefully God, hopefully not the short-term rate, and I, I, I'm not so sure if they go back up to eight or nine that the market's not going to drop by twenty, thirty percent. I hope it doesn't happen, but how could it not? Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. I, I think just from from my um, what I'm hearing, and I will tell you that the best people to get the most accurate information from are the CEOs and CFOs of the companies that we invest in. And I had a, a, a meeting with a company that's based here locally that I 
that I think is a very good example, um, and what they're seeing, I think, is a very good example of, of some of the challenges out there, but also some of the stabilization. And I, I think I described this year, if you recall, at the beginning of the year, this is going to be a year of consolidation and stabilization. And that is happening. So I think the fear of getting back to those super high rates is has subsided. There is still likelihood of seeing one more incre Fed increase this year. But I think as we get into 2024, there's a few things that I'm hearing consistently from the CEOs of different companies and in different industries. And what I'm hearing is inflation is not as big an issue. So there have been these price increases, whether they be raw materials or cost of, of, of transportation or supply chain, that have been there and have been big challenges, but they're now starting to become less challenges, less of a challenge. There, there are still some supply chain issues with some of these companies still have a part or part of their supply chain goes through China where they need, they're relying on certain things. They are making concerted efforts to change that, to, to look at manufacturing those pieces or those parts here. Um, and there's been a big push across industry, but it's not widely discussed. The other thing is wages. And, and I've talked about this over time too, in getting help and, and the company that I visited with this week, UFP Technologies, they are a really good example of this of this issue of wage inflation and, and difficulty finding help because they were a firm that manufactures medical devices um, for robotic surgery and for orthopedics and, and they do packaging for medical supplies. So they have engineers on their staff. They have about 100 engineers. Engineers are really difficult to hire right now. And they're, they're, what they're having to do is pay them a higher price to get the best talent. But in direct labor, the people working in these factories, and I've heard this from every company, having the same challenges. So in order to get somebody to come in and work at the factory, they're having to offer much higher salaries, a lot more incentives. This particular company, UFT Technologies, has this very amazing state-of-the-art plant and they have their own cafeteria for workers. So the way they're trying to retain people is by keeping um, keeping the talent and keeping the, the people because especially here in Boston, it's so difficult to find people that are willing to work at those wages because the cost of, of living is so high. So, but what I'm sort of roundabout way of saying, I think these issues, I know these issues are starting to improve. So I don't see this spiraling out of control. I see the managers, the good managers, like the man management team at UFP Technologies, I see them doing very good things to keep these issues at bay and not to let them become issues that get in their way of continuing growth. So they've done a lot of the right things. However, all that being said, and all that going back to your first question, you know, what is happening in the market? Where are the concerns? Well, one area that I've heard from a number of companies and a number of CEOs talking about is that during COVID, and as we went along in COVID, we had that slow period. Remember that there was yeah. factory shut down and all that. Well, then they overproduced and they overdelivered. And now the customers have inventory. 
So the demand from the customers to these manufacturing companies is not at the same level that it's been. And as a result, one quarter or two quarters might look a little bit soft, but not, not they're not going out of business. They're not, you know, nothing is changing. There's still demand. It's just this sort of short-term period here where the oversupply um, was was a result of um, the overproducing, if, if you will, was a result of the demand that had picked up. So we're in this little period here. I don't know how long it's going to last, maybe a few more months, maybe through the end of the year, maybe into the first part of next year, where we're not going to see the same numbers coming out from these companies as we did over the past year. So even though we're seeing stabilization on the wage side and, you know, I see, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're, I don't, we got a dash here, but I, I don't, I, we're not going to see stabilization on the wage side until everybody has a 40% raise because that's what everything's up in the last Well, and now with the, right, exactly with the strikes. I mean, yeah. but, uh, but, but, but it's working itself through, Chief. Yes, it's it working is. working itself it through. We're, we're in the process of that, which we weren't a year ago. We knew we had to go through this, and we're going through it right now. Well, we did. You and I did. <laughs> oh, yes, well, yeah, you right. we <laughs> but, uh, every, everybody, else, everybody else seems shocked to the fall. I think I found some other people off guard yeah, we expected yeah. this was going to happen. But, I mean, everybody else is, is like, shocked to the fall. Like, I have a question for you because I have a, a bunch of people, and I, you know, I'm in the minority here. I have been uh, uh, thinking that we've been in recession for a long time for 80 percent of the population. Now the other 20 and the inflation numbers are carrying the big numbers. Okay. By the way, I don't know if you heard the comment from uh, your girlfriend AOC the other day about, about people people looking at the it, the economy on paper think everything's fine. If you look at it through your eyes, it's not fine. I have, a, I have a question for you, and I, I honestly don't know the answer. Because um, uh, I think Carl, one of the, I don't know if it was Carl or one of the listeners, if we're doing so friggin' good, like everybody says we are, how is are the receipts of the federal government and ind- from individual taxpayers appreciably less than last year? Yeah, I mean, it's a very good question. It's a very good question. You would think uh, they'd be more, especially in an inflationary environment. Absolutely, um, and they're way they're way down, like five hundred yeah. billion dollars down. Well, the the you know that is I think that particular area is very hard to get your hands around and and and, and trying to understand um, the you know there the, there are times I think where where the you know the corporate world and the and the government world and the individual world are are predictable and they're trading in sync and then there's times like this where what's happening to the consumer you know let's say household what's happening to a company let's say a company that's issuing debt or needs to raise capital and then what's happening to the government are are not aligned and we're in an environment like that where things are not aligned because there's different forces and influences and factors that are determining where the um, the you know where the um, each of these three segments of our our economy um, are are going and they're not going in the same direction necessarily. It's not all in lockstep, so that's part of it. One one observation very quickly, um, and just I'll, I'll make it as quick as I can. But just coming off the plane, you know, from Florida into Boston, a couple of observations that hit me really hard, and I wasn't even quite sure I was in my, back in my hometown. Um, the huge lack of of workers here because of cost of living being so high 
waiting an hour and a half for, for a rental car because they weren't there. But then the main thing is not having somebody to work there. Um, going through, uh, you know, just seeing a huge change in the demographic just from observation and then getting to my family's house and hearing the governor talking about lowering state income tax. So we are in a world where there are things that aren't making sense. I mean, I think it's great that the governor here is doing that. I think it's a great program. I think it's great when you have a Democratic governor lowering taxes, um, but state taxes, um, I should say. But the, the uh, one thing that I, that I think you're getting to, which I agree with, is that there's sort of a mismatch still it's almost like people not talking. And as a result, trying to figure out how this all fits together has been particularly challenging in this environment. Well, I'm sure at some point, the owners of the mines in West Virginia told the people in the mines how well they were doing. <laughs> not so sure they were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, you're right. You're right. And, and one last plug, um, UFP Technology yes. is the company I visited, UFPT, ticker symbol. Um, great company, great management team. Their main business is medical devices for the robotic, uh, oh, for wow. robotic surgery. Cool. So UFPT, new place, OTTR, or you still like them? I still like OTTR, and I still like, and I definitely still like UFPT. Okay. All right. Thanks, Dan, bud. Take care of yourself. Right. Enjoy yourself up there. Go to one of Kenny Polkieri's family's restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> I try to try one. I'm not sure it's going to happen on this trip. Maybe the next trip up here. Uh, SP Futures <laughs> up 13. Nasdaq Futures up 35. We've got a rally here. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. Yeah. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, Opex, stocks and jocks. I'm Great Peppers on the board. SP Futures now up 14. The SP Futures up 35. Maybe we're trying to get a little bit of a bid here. That would be nice after the horrible days we've had. Uh, Dow Futures are up 58 individual stocks. Uh, I don't see much happening kind of anywhere. We've got uh, NVIDIA's up 210, finally up a little bit there. We've got uh, Apple uh, unchanged pretty much. So nothing, Microsoft up 19 cents. Just a, kind of a general turn to the green here, which is which is kind of nice after the days we've been having over in Europe. Uh, DAX up 39. They were like unchanged earlier, so that's 0.2%. FTSE down 19.2%. CAC around up 31.4%. So kind of a mixed bag over in Europe. Uh, Asia, we've got the Nikkei down 4.99. It's one and a half percent. Hang Seng down 2.38, 1.4%. There's 17,373. So those guys are down, pushing a thousand points now in like two weeks. It's a lot. Uh, Shanghai up three. Call that flat. Uh, yesterday, again an inside day after a big sell-off day didn't give us much of a clue. 
Dow was down 68, S&P up 98 cents, call that flat. NASDAQ up 29 bucks, so like I said, not much there. Uh, bonds down one basis point, 4.61, still high in the 10-year rate. The Bund up seven basis points, 2.91. These guys are going to go to 3% here, which is one hell of a move from being minus 1.5 for years we are doing the show. Uh, Japan up two basis points, 0.77. Uh, oil down 71 cents, but still they had a big a big uh, uh, run yesterday. They were over they were over 93 bucks, but 92.97 today. Brent down 60 cents, 95.95. Natural gas up three cents, uh, 2.93. And our Bob down two cents, 2.57. Again, the spread between our Bob and, and crude oil is about as wide as I've seen it. Our Bob is real cheap compared to oil. Uh, gold up 2.30, but still under 1900, 18.93. It's been a buy here before. Don't know about now because the U.S. rates keep going up. Uh, silver up eight cents, twenty two eighty one. Copper up four cents, three sixty eight. We tried to buy some silver yesterday. I'm not so sure we got it. Uh, we we're trying to be a little greedy. Uh, crypto, Bitcoin up two sixty seven. That's a full one percent, twenty six thousand five one seven. And the U.S. dollar, it's been strong every single day, is now uh, actually weakening a little bit because we have the pound up to one hundred five, uh, pound up to one twenty two, and the euro up to one hundred five. So. Weakening a little, but still, it's been it's been real strong. Greg, what do you have for us, Traffic Weather Sports? Good morning, everyone. Uh, the weather is nice. The traffic sucks, and got not too much uh, sports to watch besides Detroit Green Bay tonight. I can go farther or more if you'd like, but John is on. John, you with us, bud? I am. Good morning, Seth. How are you? You're somebody's got to uh, put a volume up, either you or, or Greg. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Yes. Now you're fine. Okay. Um, our, our uh, cub reporter, Greg Pappas, has been doing a lot of work the last few days, uh, getting up stuff for uh, price of car loans and the price of uh, what's going on with Chicago education. And, uh, you know, we've had the problems here on the campuses of DePaul and the guy's ridiculous response in my mind. Everybody has to do something except the people that are criminals. We don't even mention them. Students have to carry IDs, identification, other people. They don't want you walking around campus, even though the campus is on a city street. Uh, so I don't know. Does that mean I'm not supposed to walk down Sheffield? Or what's he telling me? I, I mean, I don't know what he's trying to tell me. But nothing about, oh, by the way, if anybody tries it again, you're lucky to get out of there alive. Uh, no, nothing like that. You know, we can't do that because that's against a culture. It's against something. I'm not so sure what it is. But why, why do we have so much respect for the perpetrators? What, what, what are we doing here? I don't get it. I know one of the people who was mugged in the you know, stream of muggings the other night at Lincoln Park. Um, and it's, it's happened to this person before, too. So and what, once you know you get enough of these incidents, it, it, everybody knows somebody who's been you know, hit up this way. Perfectly innocent, walking down the street, you know, a block from the person's home, and you get assaulted and get cleaned out of all your belongings. Um, and you know, the only solution seems to be, from a public official standpoint, is that we have to be more vigilant when we go out. You know, well, what, does that, what does that mean? Carry a machine gun? Yeah. Well, you know, some people may take that in just that way. Tom, can't blame them. Well, Matty Weber lived. I picked him up there for you know all while he lived there at Armitage and Damon, and he's been out of there now three weeks. In front of his house, maybe at the fence in front of his place. 10.30 in the morning, some guys walking along, two guys cold cock him from the back, uh, jump on him, take his stuff, the guy fights back, some lady honks the horn and calls 911. Uh, nobody else stopped, nobody else helped. 
And the no, guy, the guys just walk away. The guys just and walk the, away. And there's the no video no, has gone viral too. Yeah, and no, and nobody, nobody cares. Nobody even arrests them. Nobody even tries. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, you see, you see people flying through red lights all over the place. Is this, this has become our culture now? Uh, anarchy. I mean, I, I don't. I see a connection, Tom, and maybe this is a, maybe the best way to start out an early morning radio show. Yeah. When Lewis was talking before, you know, this morning about, you know, the, the possibilities for engagement with the Chinese and how this will play out, and you know, it's it's going to require, you know, at the end of whatever nuclear exchange takes place, where the Chinese and the U.S. are going to have to see it as business people and say, here's where we stand, and here's here's the way it's going to be from now on. Um, something that that needs to be put into that dynamic is the fact that we are such a divided country now that if we had to field an army, which we're seeming to have a, a lot of difficulty with because we're so flabby and fat even at a young age now that we can't meet the military's standards anymore for recruitment, let alone numbers. Um, but we've got people so divided that I, I don't see them really able to you know, agree on which side to be fighting. And this was never the case in the past. It was all, always pretty clear if we were going to go to war that we all had some idea of what our objectives were and that we felt that there was some unanimity in our purpose. And I don't think we've got that at all now. Yeah, there was we've a, there the was secretary. A, but there was a huge change. I mean, if you... Um, I mean, I guess you and I like talking about history because it is sort of educational. I mean, the U.S. Army from... You know, really, World War One. You know, the bunch of people they recruited and sent over there. But we, we'd gone in the 1890s. I mean, we were we were a garrison army. I mean, we were our, we were we were our, our army was on you know the Mexican border and fighting Indians for God's sake. We, we we were we were not anything set up to fight in Europe or Japan or any place. No, it was a localized you know reg- yeah. regiments and you know this this you know it had state identity more than it had national identity, and we had to give that up in order to to amass the kind of fighting forces that we did in the first and second world wars um and to get everybody behind the war effort at home too but we had individual people and this is this is where i i think our you know i it's hard to say when people just get in office and stuff although it seems pretty easy to say some of these people i mean we we always seem to have somebody we we had a, a a president and not everybody's a you know massive fan of Roosevelt, but the dude knew an awful lot about world politics. He talked to people constantly. He, he learned his, his mind was like a sieve. He just talked all day long to people in 20 half-hour increments, people from overseas, people from, and he knew that there were these problems, okay? And then he, he managed to, that we might end up being involved, you know, no matter what. We didn't want to. Nobody wanted to. We had more separatists in the, the 30s than we do now, probably, uh, and, or as many, And it, but he, he put he found some people that also had some vision, uh, guys like George Marshall. And one thing that George Marshall did was, I mean, uh, Eisenhower, I think, was like a, he was maybe a captain or a lieutenant. And he realized that, you know, Eisenhower, when he went to, he wasn't the best guy at West Point, but when he went to the War College and they had him in the Philippines, they had him places, that he figured out that he was a guy who was able to deal with the politics of armies and not just where your soldiers were and he could deal with other leaders from other places. He wasn't just, you know, a guy like Patton, who actually was a was a great general in a lot of ways, 
but couldn't couldn't talk to anybody. You know, I mean, in terms of, I mean, they identified these people, and and before the war even started, in the, in the late 30s, Marshall had already made a lot of generals, peacetime generals, retire because they were useless. He promoted people to the actual officer corps. For he's a, a, a was in pretty good shape before Pearl Harbor. I mean, we couldn't have done any of that stuff in three and a half years if Roosevelt, through some people, weren't preparing people, at least mentally. And if we didn't... And everybody says, oh, no, right after Pearl Harbor, we we started the, the war production. That's that's bull, too. Because for the, the three years before, we were doing war production for France and Britain and selling stuff. So we were, we were well on our way. We, we didn't have massive plants making B-24s and stuff. We were well on our way to ramping up that industry, I'm going to say, f- three to four years before Pearl Harbor. So it didn't just happen... History is not exactly, you know, when, when, the, when, the, when the, the truth conflicts with the legend, print the legend. You know, I mean, I mean none of this stuff, and, and right now people are convinced that the, the, none of these are their problems. It's their, it's their cell phone. It's, it's, it's being bullied by the kid down the block. It's somebody not liking their dorm room. These are not world-class problems, John. They just aren't. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it, they're family problems, and people, you, you get over this stuff. It doesn't make, I mean, it's this, this thing here, one of our guys... He's on the school board, one of the places. Remember last year the uh, the incident where the kid wore a depression helmet to school and gave yeah. and gave the and at last Halloween and gave the the uh, the Sig Heil signal and it, and it totally tore up. It was on. A, it's all we talked about for three days. One kid, a kid's a, t- a twelve-year-old. For God's sake, you know, you know, whatever, whatever. Send him home, suspend him for two days. Hopefully, their parents will smack him up or something. I'm not into beating kids, but the I mean, somewhere. Now it's a year later. We're interviewing for a new principal because we had to get rid of that principal. And now, a year, Jan? A year? What, what, what are we doing? I, you know, we can't. We can't. Um, can't we do anything? Well, you know, our take our Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin for an, an example. Um, he was on this, you know, put together this naming commission about you know, renaming army bases to get rid of any vestige of you know Confederate taint. You know the military decorations, the color, military colors, whatever. We had to make sure that we were purified of any reminders of our racist, you know, past in the 19th century. And now, January 1, 2024, they're removing the memorial for reconciliation from Arlington National Cemetery, which was this, you know, enormous monument erected in 1914 um, to signify the reconciliation of the North and the South. Um, a great piece of sculpture, you know, a big, big what's, statement. What's in, wrong with that? We, we, we are reconciled. What's, what's wrong with a monument to well, that? That's, it, Tom, it's about erasing any evidence that we are reconciled. You know, clearly the Civil War was fought in vain. Any reminders that we actually came together, and it took 50 years for that monument to be erected after the Civil War, but any reminder that that reconciliation took place has to be erased. And I hate to say it, but it looks like fifth columnists are running the Defense Department. When you start doing that, when you start getting rid of signs of solidarity among people, and that we can I, th- I, th- I thought we were reconciled. Even though, even though we want the Cubs to beat the Marlins, I didn't think we hated Florida still, do we? we well, yeah, to- you can't even disagree today politically without being an enemy of democracy in somebody else's eyes and have it trumpeted all over the media. So how are we going to feel a unified military of any kind that's going to agree we're fighting the right foe? But I, the part that I, I'm having trouble with, and I don't know if, if you're the, or I don't know if anybody's the person to ask. I look at, I don't know if uh, Greg sent this to you. I hope he did. Did you send uh, 
Janice stuff about the school stuff or no? No, I didn't. Um, well, we're looking at uh, wire points. Uh, in, uh, <laughs> That's my new favorite site. Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. You see stuff there you never see in the newspapers. I'll well, tell you that. I, well, well, that's the point. I mean, we have um, the school store scores are, are horrendous, right, in the city of Chicago. And we're up to, what, $30,000 a student. And it looks like we're not getting much for it. I mean, now, I get the fact that there's family issues, there's drug issues, there's all kinds of stuff that's, that's involved here, and not just kids not learning in class. But the fact is, we a lot of money is being spent, and whatever the combination of things that have to happen to make it a success, I, if anybody who listens to the show knows that there isn't, there can't be a soul on earth that is more dedicated to people having intelligence, because intelligence to me is freedom, to be able to to be able to write, to be able to add, to be able to do things, and be able to get a job and have the skills, that that to me equals freedom. I don't know what you think about that, John. But somebody, you know, what did they say in the movie? You know, fat, fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. You know, in a, in truth <laughs> shall make you free, Tom. Yeah, you know, but I'm somehow or another, this isn't working. And evidently, Vallis or somebody came out and ran, you know, said this is crazy. Look what we're doing, and he was immediately branded as like you know, the racist old white man. Why? Why? If I'm an African American person, why do I like this stuff? I mean, I'm going to say, virtually none of them do. <laughs> they they don't they don't like the idea that the, the kids aren't learning. They don't. That's why they're leaving Chicago in droves. I mean, this whole thing that that somehow we should we should be genuflecting to this culture when when the black people that can are getting the hell out of town. What's the culture? I mean, I, I mean, this is. Do I do I think that black families don't want their kids learning? I don't think that at all, John. I, I never would think that. I mean, what what is going on here? What what's what's the motivation? Who's making the money? Why is it okay to throw a whole bunch of money at a system where the kids aren't learning? And somebody say, wait a minute, maybe, maybe it's not the teachers. I'm not going to blame them. Maybe it's somehow or another. What do we got going here that's causing this degradation? And how do we fix it? Because it, it becomes the same topic. We don't have kids ready to go in the army. We don't have kids ready to do this. We don't have kids ready for a job. I mean, why why can't somebody get their hands around this and talk about it, and then figure out if if there is a solution? It's probably a hundred different solutions all coming together, or at least twenty or thirty. What what what? Can, we can't just let everything just totally degrade and debase and become God knows what. And yet that appears where we're going, and it's okay. I, I don't get the okay part. Well, the okay part has to do with you know maintaining the monopoly of the public school system as it's existed in the past, but as it's also now descended into a kind of nightmare that 50 years ago, I don't think people would have tolerated, but people seem, you know, they, they tolerate it to, to the extent that they can, you know, avoid dealing with it if possible. And anybody in Chicago who has dreams for their kids does everything possible to get their kid into a magnet school or, you know, selective enrollment school, whether by fraud or, or by genuine means. And the, the, the system is left to language for people who don't have the same interest, the energy, or the money, or the, you know, just the drive to make things better for their kids. And as a result, you know, to, to me, I mean, I'm a former teacher. I, I tend to beat up on teachers on this show occasionally, but it's a, it's a marriage between, you know, a teaching union like the one we've got in Chicago, which is totally committed to mediocrity or worse. And then you've got a, a school system with a superintendent and layers of administrators and do nothing people that solidifies that and makes sure that everything costs top dollar 
and to make sure that ev anybody who's got an interest in innovating or trying something different or actually flunking students instead of passing them ahead is going to be toast in no time at all. There's no room in the system for that kind of merit-driven you know, ethics system. So it, the, it, the scandal is that people keep paying for it and that people keep enrolling their kids in it, although you know, there's been a little uptick, uptick in enrollment this year, apparently. It's not very big, but it's after horrendous you know, hemorrhaging of the system, and I guess you know I don't know what it's going to take for people to wake up that the system is is completely trashed, and that we're not producing people that can do minimal high school skills. You know, they're they're being diseducated by by being enrolled in these schools. Well, they're I was uh, dumber than when they went in. I was doing a little bit of Cub reporting last night myself, while at least watching the Cubs for a little while, uh, while they were still winning, but then of course they lost. Uh, by the way, John, your White Sox are not helping. Why don't they just say forfeit the next games? Why are they even... <laughs> Talk about trashing the system. God. Go, well, please go to Sarasota. Go somewhere else. Just put yeah. it where it's, I don't have to read about it every day. Uh, so I, I, uh, I stop in uh, actually downstairs, and uh, every... Talk about being able to talk to the bartenders, well, except for a couple of kind of wacky, but uh, virtually all the rest of them, they bartend one night just for a little extra cash, and they all have, like, a regular job. Uh, two of them are teachers. One is at a Catholic school here, and the other one um, was in, I got to talk to her last night, she uh, was in the Chicago Public Schools where she made, I think, a lot more money. Said she couldn't wait to get out. She's in one of the western suburbs. I'm thinking maybe Cicero area. I don't know if it's Cicero itself. Uh, she says it, it is so much better. She's got, um, what, she got 25 kids in her class. She's, for some reason, there's 18 of them are boys. I don't know what the demographics are. She goes, all of a sudden now, there's all kinds of boys in class instead of girls. But for years ago, it was girls outnumbered. I, I don't know what the hell that's all about. Uh, anyway, she says, so she's got all these 10-year-old boys, and she's a, a mixed-race lady, spectacularly attractive. And she goes, oh, no, the boys, they, they love me still. It's only been two weeks, and they still think they, <laughs> they love me because I'm good-looking. <laughs> Typical boys, even at age 10, right? But she goes, yeah, she goes to pub, pub, Chicago Public School because I couldn't stand it. I had to get out of there, even though it was closer and more dough. She, I, I came out here. I'm, she says, I'm so much happier. The parents are nice. The kids are nice. You know, we, have, we don't have any incidents. They do their homework. They do their stuff. They do what you tell them. She goes, it's, it's a whole different world. And, uh, and the, the other lady is a, a stewardess, or well, flight attendant, sorry. And uh, I guess they're going on strike. Um, and Because uh, they've never even gotten a raise, of course. And everybody else is getting their 40% or trying to. So she tells me some of the stuff is uh, work-related, work rules. And one lady, uh, this is not a good story, one lady doesn't show up for her flight, so they give her a you know, two-penalty deduction. I don't, know, I don't know if if four penalties of paddling and, and, and six is you lose a day or something. I have no idea. Well, it turns out they find the girl dead with a sack in her mouth in a, in a Philadelphia hotel. And, of course, I had to say, well, did they, did they get the two points back? <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but I mean, she goes... They didn't even, all of a sudden, they find her hotel room and they're like, oops, I guess, I guess she just didn't... They didn't even look for her, I guess. They just deducted two points from her, whatever the hell that means. And, uh, you know, I mean, you, you hear these stories and you go, this world is weird that we're in. And it's, if you talk to regular people, you get a whole different view of what's going on than if you just read what people are telling you. I mean, am I right or wrong? Oh, well, you remember the incident of a couple of weeks ago when the president of the Chicago Teachers Union, Stacey Davis Gates, who's, you know, our mayor's mentor, um, was caught having her son enrolled in a Catholic high school on the south side um, and, you know, 
having bashed school choice and you know pr private schools as being racist tools um, was was caught doing the same thing that a lot of people want to do because they can't stand the idea of their kid being enrolled in this correction system we call it the school system but the, the thing it gets me Tom um, in, I have a little you know local newspaper my a neighborhood newspaper that I subscribe in and there's constantly news in there advertisements for the various Catholic schools in the Northwest side area where I live, whether it's going to be for an orientation or they're you know, having their entrance exam, whatever, you know, potluck, bingo, anything, any kind of fundraising thing is advertised in there all the time with, with nice advertising that the schools put together to drum up interest in them. And you look at the Tribune or the Sun-Times, the mainstream newspapers, and the only ads that they let get in there by the Archdiocese of Chicago are for its cemetery system. Did, have you ever seen an ad for a Catholic school in the Sun-Times that we're having our entrance exam next week, you know, come and learn about this place? Heck no, because you know the teachers unions have put the throttle on that. What kind of a market are we dealing with here? Well, what happened? Yet, we got the president of the teachers union sending well, you know, you know, you know, you, you know what I'm going to say right out of the gate, if we still had four newspapers that people actually bought, that wouldn't happen. Yeah, well, it, well, but you know, it, it isn't going to make it look like it, there's any room for that kind of effort. They'll take the advertising, advertising revenue, which is substantial for the cemetery system, but not the school. Well, I, I never dreamed, John, if you, when you and I were young and we were young once, if you would have asked me when we were in college or afterward if there was going to be this marked, uh, I use the term censorship, all kinds of stuff that goes down that doesn't happen in a free society. If you were to ask me which side that was going to come from, I would have immediately said from the right. And in fact, it's coming from the left, which I'm... I'm The people that are on the left now... You know, it's, it's weird. Yeah, I mean, they going to think, boy, the Chief's really going off the deep end. I'm going to say that people that are the radical right and the radical left are amazingly similar. It's all about their way or the highway. It, the, the, the views on a subject are different, but their tactics and their mentality is exactly the same. No well, compromise, no no compromise, no nothing, it's all me. If something says I'm wrong in this book, we got to get rid of the book because I know I'm not wrong, that kind of thing. It, it's I'm just so, as Lou was saying earlier about ideologues. Yeah, you know, and 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 on, both sides. on both your sides. Your mind is made up already, you yeah. we'll all figure it out. And if you disagree with me, you're scum. You know, that's yeah, that's it's, old. It's, it's, it's never worked. It's never you know, succeeded in doing anything but making more and more people miserable and people at, at the top you know, perfectly comfortable. So, but my, I guess the question, I guess, comes from, I, I think both of us, you and I are probably on different parts of the political spectrum, even though I'm in the middle, which means I don't know where you're at. You're on one of the one of the extremes because you're not in the middle. Uh, you can pick the extreme, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> just give it a creep. Uh, I don't, it appears that the growing gap in the middle, moderate Republicans, moderate Democrats, if there are any left, the growing gap in the Hunk, hunk in the middle is getting bigger and bigger, and the people on the extreme on each end, I believe, is getting smaller and smaller. Yet I don't see how the middle ever gets represented by the way the party system has worked now in the primary system, because only the lunatics get out of the primary system. Now, whether that means all the other people somehow got to wake up and vote in the primaries, or maybe I think people don't even run because they know they can't get through the primary. I don't, if, I don't, if you didn't, if you didn't believe there was such a thing as election interference, 
how Joe Biden and Kamala Harris ended up on the Democratic ticket is proof positive of election interference. Where did they come from? Where, where was the groundswell of public support for them anywhere? Well, they, they, but even the parties, that's what I'm saying. The parties now have engineered this, and we got a dash. And the idea of Robert Kennedy, I mean, the poor guy got shot, but he, he noticed after, after how many primaries that there was no clear winner, and he jumped in well into the process. And what, he won something, then he won California. And all of a sudden, he picked up all this momentum. These primaries now are as, as fast as can be. If, if, if Joe Biden wins Iowa and wins, I'm not just him personally, him, Iowa wins New Hampshire, they want everything done the next week. They, they don't want anybody being able to pile in there and say, God, Joe Biden's winning, the guy's a goofball. What, I, I can, you know, Mickey DeMope can jump in if you have a few months to do it. But if, if they, they give you no time, they, they already want to anoint their guy. That's what they want in South Carolina. Yeah. The primary, not New Hampshire. Who, who knows this better than Robert Kennedy's namesake, who's, who's oh, yeah. running for president, although you'd never know it from reading a newspaper. Right. SP Futures down 5, NASDAQ Futures down 40. John, am I going to see you at one of, any one of these days? So, uh, God. Uh, we miss you. <laughs> we'll see you out soon. you you got to become like a, a sort of a Cub reporter. You can't do that watching the Cubs lose or the Sox lose. <laughs> Just saying. We back to Greg. Thank you. Back tomorrow. Stocks and Jocks. I picked the wrong week. Quit sniffing glue. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex, offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.